Wrestling fans, welcome to another episode of Cheer Shots to the Cranium. I'm Stephen Goforth. My interview for you today is the one and only Road Warrior Animal. Very excited, very gracious that he gave me his time for this interview, so I hope you enjoy it. Before I head into that interview, let me remind you, I'm not sure how you're listening to this right now, but you can listen to it on Apple Podcasts, you can listen to it on Google Play, you can go check it out on my YouTube channel, Cheer Shots to the Cranium. Listen to it on the website. So a lot of different ways to check out Cheer Shots to the Cranium. Highly encourage you to go to my website, cheershotstothecranium.com. On there, there's a lot of great wrestling information on there for you guys. So go check that out. Also, some Cheer Shots to the Cranium merch, sport your own t-shirt around town. Express your inner cheer shot wearing a Cheer Shots to the Cranium t-shirt. Again, prowrestlingtees.com forward slash cheer shots to the cranium and don't forget to follow me on instagram and on twitter chair to cranium again that's chair the number two cranium chair to cranium on instagram and on twitter post a lot of exciting information on there and try to interact with you guys as much as possible feel free to message me on there i reply to all fans happy to do it happy to hear from you that's why i do what i do to entertain you and i love to hear from you thank you as always for listening to cheer shots to the cranium And now let's head right into my interview with the one and only WWE Hall of Famer, Road Warrior Animal. Wrestling fans, my guest today is one of the greatest professional wrestlers to ever step inside the ring. He's one half of what many consider to be the greatest tag team to ever exist. He's won countless tag team championships across the world. He's a WWE Hall of Famer, and he helped revolutionize the wrestling world with his tremendous entertainment style and his great in-ring skills. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to welcome as my guest, Road Warrior Animal. Animal, how are you today? Good, good, man. Just busy here in St. Louis, running around. Just got to hockey practice my grandson. Ate some dinner, and now I'm talking to you guys. Well, I greatly appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, no problem. You're currently touring the independent circuit, and you've recently agreed to join the tremendous roster of Universal Championship Wrestling. Now, they live by the philosophy that that tradition rises from the ashes. Your career will forever be part of the rich tradition of professional wrestling. What are your thoughts about UCW and the owner, Ron Gossett? Well, you know, the good thing about UCW is it's uh, old school values and, uh, you know, it's, it's about entertaining the crowd. It's not so much buying into what uh, wrestling has turned into today, you know, uh, you know, guys flying all over the place and it means nothing. And, with, you know, with Ronnie Gossett, he's, he's an old school guy and, you know, he likes things to be done the proper way and, you know, you're not, nothing is very easily handed to you in pro wrestling. You have to earn it, and then you go take it when your opportunity comes, you know. So um, that's probably the best thing about, you know, Ronnie and Universal Championship Wrestling is that, you know, it, it's it's very, very old school, but very entertaining at the same time. I, I totally agree with you. And I have no doubt Ron will have something special lined up for you at the upcoming show in Griffin, Georgia on November the 16th. Now, I'm not asking you to let the cat out of the bag or anything like that, but... 
can the fans expect you to see as a as a special guest referee or enforcer or general manager? What what can they maybe expect to see if they're if they're at that show on November the sixteenth? Well, you know, first of all, I'm just happy to get back to the state of Georgia. I mean, you know, Hawk and I started with Georgia Championship Wrestling in the state of Georgia. It's very close to us. I spent a lot of time there. My brother Mark and his wife live in Roswell, Georgia. So getting back to Georgia alone is is freaking awesome to me. You know. But, you know, hey, you, you never know what I might do, man. I may be a manager. I may, I may be commissioner for the day. But lo and behold, <laughs> I can guarantee you one thing. Uh, if someone gets out of line, I may just be the guy there to put them right back in line. You I, know what I'm saying? I bet you so, will. I mean, I'm all about fair play, and I'm all about uh, playing by the rules and uh, getting the job done, you know? Well, that sounds awesome. Now, I'd like to take a trip down memory lane, if we could, and talk a little bit about your career during their early during your early career um, of the Road Warriors, you guys came to the ring to Black Sabbath's Iron Man. Now, I can remember being a yeah. kid and hearing that music hit in the arena, and it would be deafening. Where where did the idea come from to use this song as your entrance? Well, you know, one day we were listening to the radio, and it was right in the beginning of, of music getting into wrestling. You know, and uh, the bottom line is, you know, wrestling is, you know, it, it, it was just getting into the entertainment side of things. So we were listening to the radio, and all of a sudden we heard the, and it's like, you know, you get those, it's those goosebump moments where, you know, I looked at Hawk, and he looked at me, and we looked at Ellery, and he said, that's our music. And, you know, we were both Ozzy Osbourne fans and Black Sabbath fans anyway. So it fit right in with us, and just the tempo of that music, and when people heard, as you know, when you were a kid watching it, when you heard that drum beat, and you heard that guitar riff, you know that someone was going to get their head kicked in. Oh, there's no... You know? Yeah. Because we, we went to take care of business. It wasn't about playing around or goofing around. We were taking care of business, you know? There's no doubt about it. You're exactly right. When that, when that music would first hit, I mean, I, I vividly remember it, standing there in that arena as a kid, and I heard that hit, that music hit, and, and these goosebumps would come over you, and the fans would jump to their feet and go absolutely freaking nuts about it. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a testament to the fan because, I mean, there's a thing in the wrestling business that's called the Road Warrior Pop. Exactly. Whenever anybody gets an ovation or you hear the yes, yes, yes chance for Daniel Bryan or anybody in the arena gets a loud cheer, they come back and they say, hey, man, you got a Road Warrior Pop because Hawk and I were one of the few entities, even more than Andre and even more than Hogan, that literally blew the roof off of buildings, you know? And and I, I take pride in that because that means we did our job properly, you know? Oh yeah, it's it's a memory that I'll always remember and extremely exciting. Now, now going back to your the early part of your career, you didn't have that spider as part of your face paint. I've always wanted to know. Always wanted to ask you. Tell me how the spider was added to your paint scheme. Well, you know, man, <clears throat> in the paint job in the beginning, we were just kind of experimenting with what felt good to us, and it was kind of an expression in the way we felt. And at the time, I was thinking to Hawk, I told Hawk, I said, you know, I like the spider web, man, and that kind of thing. I said, how about, you know, I do something that reflects, like, don't get caught in the web of the road warriors, you know? And then I did the spider, 
you know, because once the Black Widow fights you, you're kind of paralyzed. And it's kind of the same thing when Hawk and I used to clothesline somebody or give somebody a doomsday. You kind of get paralyzed and you, you never get up from it, you know. So that's what we are getting at. You know, don't get caught in the web of the Warriors. But you do get there, you're going to get bit. And once you get bit, you're ours. Nice. You know, it's, just, it, it, it's not like a lot of teams where there's one strong guy, one fast guy. We were two big, strong, and fast guys. Right. You know, so it was, it was a little bit different than everybody else's. Now, when you guys made your way over to the WWF, you were mainly referred to as the Legion of Doom and not so much as the Road Warriors. Now, a lot of the newer generation of fans know you as the Legion of Doom. Was this something you and Hulk came up with to be referred to mainly as the Legion of Doom when you made your transition over to the WWF, or was that uh, 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 an idea by that, the WWF creative team? That was uh, Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon at the time said, hey, man, I got the uh, modern-day warrior, Terry Von Eric, and I got the ultimate warrior, and he goes, I got you guys to be another warriors. I don't want to have too many road warriors or warriors in my stable. And I said, well, how about the Legion of Doom? And, you know, he really had no idea that we always announced ourselves in every event. Paul Ellering presents from the Legion of Doom, Animal and Hawk, the Road Warriors. Right. And so we always used the Legion of Doom from day one. Because the original Legion of Doom was, you know, Hawk and I and Paul and Jake Roberts and the spoiler, you know? Yeah. So we always used the Legion of Doom. We went to WWE, they try to tell us, okay, you're the Legion of Doom. Yeah, we were LOD, and it's great for the fans to chant, you know, the LOD. Everywhere I go, fans chant LOD, you know, LOD. Right. But Hawk and I would cover in interviews and say, yeah, we're the Legion of Doom. This is Road Warrior Hawk, and I'm Road Warrior Animal. So we always threw it in there anyway. We actually, you know, we actually owned both names, so it didn't matter to us which name we used. Now, earlier this year, I wrote a column about tag team wrestling. Now, now at that time I wrote the column, I felt there was a resurgence of the tag team division because we were starting to see teams like the Revival, the AOP, the Ascension, the Uso Brothers, Gallows and Anderson, that's just to name a few, come in as true tag teams rather than two singles guys getting paired together and just being a temporary tag team. What's your opinion on the current state of tag team wrestling and how are we seeing teams utilized or maybe even underutilized right now? Well, you know, what you see, they have a habit of doing with tag team wrestlings today. They don't establish who the top dog tag team is. And they never establish who the heel team is. So unless you establish that pecking order, you listen, everybody cannot be equal. That's not life. That's not reality. That's not tag team wrestling. Right. You're always going to have one team that reigns supreme, and you're going to have one team that's not as good as the other ones. That would be like, you know, us having matches against the, you know, just say the, the Midnight Express brand, for example, and then them beating us and them be, and going back and forth. You, you can't have that. Right. Because in the eyes of the people, the people, the, the fans are so smart, they realize the difference. They, they started off with their revival being strong, and then, then now they kill them. Exactly. You know, they started off with uh, the Ascension, which was the biggest mistake the WWE's probably made in the last 20 years. Because once you talk, start talking about Hawk and I, you kill yourself. Right, I agree. You know, you can't say you're tough guys. You, you, you're not, listen, Hawk and I were literally two street fighters that learned how to wrestle. You can't go in there and be a wrestler and try to make pretend you're a badass because it's not going to work. You know, 
you, you either got to have that bred into you. It's just like someone that's a great football player or a great star. That's got to be bred into you. You just can't develop it. You know, it's got to be an instinct. And so, you know, teams like that, even like the authors of pain, the authors of pain, yes, they just beat one guy, Seth Rollins, to become the tag team champions. But what have they done before that? They've gotten beat. You know, you, you can't keep beating teams and then having them, you know, get a token win every now and then. You've got to establish who's the dominant guys. And there is no real team that stands out as being the dominant team today. And that's the problem. You know, you look back in the days, you had Rocco Express, who could wrestle the butts off. People knew they could wrestle. The Miller Express were phenomenal. The Four Horsemen were phenomenal. The Samoa SWAT team was phenomenal. The British Bulldogs were phenomenal. You had all these teams. Manny Fernandez and Rick Rude were great. They were tag team champions, you yeah. know? Yeah. You had the Rockers. The Rockers were phenomenal, too. You had teams that established themselves as being teams that you you get over with the fans by winning. Yeah, you just can't keep you can't give them. It's like Dolph Ziggler for a for a singles guy. They give him a little run, as you probably just saw. He wins for two months, and then he gets fully smashed for the next year. Right, you're exactly right. You know what I mean. And, and for all the marketing purposes and everything else, and for all the ancillary things, you have to establish. The teams, there has to be a pecking order. Okay, this is the top of the food chain. Who's going to climb that ladder to equal the top of the food chain? And you got to have that. Now, out of the current teams that you're seeing right now, it can be in, in any promotion, not just uh, exclusively to the WWE. Is there a current team that you're fond of or one that's caught your attention? Uh, you know, to be honest with you, not really. You know, you know, I have I have a, I have a couple guys that I'm walking down the ring right now. You know, Crimson and uh, and Jax. You know, uh, from Dallas, and uh, you know they wrestled. Crimson's got a company down in Tennessee. Uh, two big guys that I'm trying to help create. You know, and make they're they're a great team. They just need to be guided along on how to take advantage of the situation when it comes along. They're probably my top team right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're called War Kings. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I listen, I love New Day. New Day is a great team. They're funny. You know, they're entertaining. Um, other than that, and like even Arthur's of Pain, it's like they're trying too hard to establish that they're big, tough guys. Yeah. I agree with that. You can establish you can establish that by your actions, not by your heavy breathing and grunting. That doesn't make you a big tough guy. Yeah, it's what you do in the ring. It's how vicious you are in the ring. Now, listen, well, you know, I'm not saying it was Hawk and I, but people had no doubt that we were in the ring. That listen, some someone's going to get their head ripped off. You know, and you have to put that. There has to be that established fear of God in your opponents, even though it's entertainment. You still, in the eyes of a fan, that's what they want to see. I firmly believe that, you know? Yeah, I kind of thought we were headed in that direction with the Bludgeon Brothers. Um, they, they they kind of had that presence about them. And, of course, uh, one sustained an injury, so, you know, we don't see them in the ring right now. But I kind of got that feeling with them. And that's the first time I think I've gotten yeah, that feeling. Know, they, 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 they were the last team there to get pushed the proper way. Right. They were on their way to be stopped, and I think one of them had to get knee surgery, which I understand. 
you know, you can't help with injuries. But, you know, you know, I guess that's just the difference between errors. You know, I mean, I've blown out my knee before, too, and broke my ankles, but I never took any time off to get healed. I just kept going because the show must go on. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's probably what separated Hawk and I. I mean, Hawk had a broken ankle when we climbed, we climbed the scaffold matches for the war game. I took the cast off in the locker room and I taped it up for him and we went and did a pay-per-view. You know, that's just, but that's just the difference between different, different eras of wrestling. Well, that's a perfect segue because that was actually my next question for you was the famous scaffold matches that you participated in. Now, I did an interview not long ago with Bobby Fulton from the Fantastics and he participated in some scaffold matches and said they're extremely scary and, and I can see how they would be. How did you feel about those matches? <laughs> I mean, you're 30 feet above the ring, and uh, there there is no safety net except falling on the ring. Right. You know, and you're falling on plywood and steel beams. You're not really falling on the flat, soft surface, you know. And uh, they're very unstable. I mean, because people don't realize when you get to these big arenas, you have to have your union crew put up the scaffolding by law, and they, they do not put it up the same way as, maybe the wrestling company would put it up, you know? Yeah. And uh, I, I remember climbing up those scaffolds and Hawk grabbing the top rail and the rail popping off in his hand. And luckily I was behind him, otherwise we'd have fell 30 feet, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah, it, it, and they're dangerous. You know, you, you, gotta, you know, people don't really, you know, you got to understand too, that's a fireman scaffold. So they have little grooves that grab your boots because when, you know, when it's wet during a fire, so the firemen don't slip. So you can imagine when you fall on that metal scaffolding, it, uh, it it kind of grips your skin, and you always have these little half-circle holes all over your back and chest and arms and everything else. Now, outside of that match, were there any others that you found very difficult? I mean, of course, you participated in all the war games. Yeah, you know, I mean, the war games was fun, to be honest with you. Tower of Doom was okay. Um the other, only other matches we ever had that I really didn't like very much were the Bob Wire matches. Yeah. I mean, there's no way of hitting Bob Wire wrapped on the ropes and making it feel good. You're going to get punctured. Yeah, you know, no doubt. There's no way of getting around it. You know, you're, you're going to get punctured and you're going to get hurt some way or another, you know. But uh, cage matches were always, I mean, you know, pretty vicious. We always were throwing each other in the cages and slamming each other, so... Yeah, Hawk and I, being the team that we were, we were always involved with these kind of really nutty, crazy cut matches, you know. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Paul Ellering. He will always be linked to your career and is, and is a legendary manager. We don't see managers as much in the current product. Not, and I'll be honest with you, I miss it greatly. What's your feelings on the lack of managers in pro wrestling today? Well, I think you're lacking them. You know, now what they do... And you can see it with Bobby Lashley and with the Arthur's of Pain. They're taking these cruiserweight guys from NXT and they're making them managers. And I would imagine because of the future, they're probably going to have them wrestle six man and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of guy is going to be your guinea pig for getting the, you know, the crap kicked out of them. You know, eventually, if you got all these heavyweights in there, then you got cruiserweights, right? Right. I mean, the lost art between guys like a, a, a Bobby Heenan or a Jim Cornette or Paul Ellery or Jimmy Hart, you're never going to see that again. Because those guys had the art and the gift of gab. They could talk, they could sell a product, 
if they were a baby face, they could get the baby face over. If they were heel, they can get heat on the guys. I, you know, like like a like a Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman is probably the last of the great managers left in wrestling. Period. Absolutely. You know, and I, I think it's a lost art. I agree with you, man. I think wrestling needs great managers. We know they're great for the storyline, and they're great for added attention to the character or characters if it's a team. Yeah, I mean, and, and and to me, it's just it's a no brainer. I mean, to have them back or have managers front and center again for certain for certain uh, wrestlers or, or teams, I think just helps elevate the talent and helps elevate the storyline. Oh, heck yeah, man. I remember Jimmy Cornette, who was afraid of heights, being stuck in that little, we called it the birdcage, above yeah. the ring. And if you're wrestling the Midnight Express, and if we beat the Midnight Express, the cage gets lower down, and then Paul Ellering gets to get Jim Cornette. You know what I mean? It's, you make it involved, you know? You, you, get, you get the matters involved, because, you know, you don't want to get them all the heat, but you want to get them involved in the show, and... You know, because listen, some teams are not very good talkers. Oh, Midnight Express, a perfect example. Cornette did most of the talking because Bobby and Stan weren't that great at talkers. You know, you don't yeah. hear Brock Lesnar saying that much because Paul Heyman is his voice. You know what I mean? You you need managers that get to sell across. Jimmy Hart did most of the talking with his team because he was a better talker. Yeah. Well, speaking of talking, you and Hulk always had extremely entertaining promos, and I can remember Hulk in particular being so amped up during your promos. Were a lot of his promos off the cuff, or did he rehearse what he wanted to say and how he wanted to say it? Well, none of our stuff was rehearsed. I mean, we thought about it a little bit. All we thought about was, okay, who's our opponents? What talent are we in? And my job was, okay... I remember what the opponents did last time to us. I knew we were what match we were coming up and having. So say we were in a normal tag and we had to come back or we we're going to have a strap match or a cage match, I would be the hard sell guy and sell the product. Hawks would just get up there, you know, do the, you know, well, you know, and then start talking <laughs> totally nuts. Yeah. And half the time he'd get mad at me because I'd be laughing at him, you know. <laughs> He'd say, don't laugh at me, animal. I said, I can't help it. Why don't you tell me what you're going to say first, you know? Yeah. And after a while, he started smarting me up with what he was going to say. But, you know, Hawk was smart that way, and he was ingenious that way. You know, he, he had a mind that just didn't stop. And, you know, and that's what made us work so good together is I was like the, you know, the buck stops here with me. And Hawk was like, you know, hey, I'm going to fly around and type of thing, you know, so... It worked well together, and then you had Ellering that wrapped it all up in a nice, tight package, and that's why, you know, we ended up going down pretty much in history as, you know, some of the best interviews in our business. Oh, no doubt about it. Now, looking back, what part of your career did you enjoy the most? Was it your time in the AWA? Was it Jim Crockett promotion? Was it your time in Japan, or was it your time in the WWF? Which time, which era stood out as your favorite? You know, man, I think each one of them played a different part in our success. Uh, you know, um, <clears throat> of course, you know, the NWA, when the NWA belts and then the AWA belts, and, you know, going to Japan and being the only team ever to take the international belts out of the country and defending the international belts on behalf of uh, all Japan against the, you know, the NWA titles of the Midnight Express had them, you know, then, 
<clears throat> you know, doing that, because that's an honor and a privilege, especially by the Japanese, and let those titles go out of the country is big. Yeah. And then winning the last of the big three or the big four, winning the WWF titles, you know, no other team in history has ever done that, or even come close. And then when we won the WWF, that was like achieving the you know, pinnacle of our career, you know, winning those belts, because that was the last of the big three. You know, so, I mean, we kind of... I, I was counting, someone sent me a deal the other day, you know, Hawk and I won some, I don't know, they counted like 21, 22 different championships at one time. And I'm talking from Mexico to Australia to Oregon to Texas, I mean, everything, you know, and along with the big three, it, you know, it's, it's, you know, I don't even think about it or, or even consider that. I just, you know, out there doing my job, you know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> but it, it's a, it's, it's an incredible honor to be because when you get the championship belts, you get them bestowed upon you. That means you're in charge of drawing money or putting butts in seats for the company. You know what I mean? So they entrusted us to put butts in seats and, uh, you know, and stuff like that. So it was an honor. I really don't have one set place or one set of belt that meant more than anything else. You know, I probably had more fun in the NWA than I ever had anywhere. When you get in a ring with guys like, you know, Polly Blanchard on Anderson, Rick Flair, Barry Windham, you know, Midnight Express, a lot of those guys, it's, uh, you know, it's a privilege. And, and for me, when I was, you know, because I was one of the younger guys, you know, being in the ring with those guys was like, it was definitely an honor. Well, Jim Crockett Promotions is where I have my fondest memories of you. That's where I would see you at the arena and, uh, to me, that's my personal favorite uh, of your times. Yeah, yeah, I probably would agree with you. That was that was a good time for me in my life, man. You know, I just did the NWA '70 show, and uh, where you know Cody Rhodes wrestled for the main event, and he lost it to Nick Aldis. You know, and I was on that show, and I announced the Crockett Cup, and yeah. fans actually went nuts. I'm telling you right now, the wrestling fans want that NWA feel. They want that old school feel back. They want to have another company in the wrestling business. You just can't have Raw and SmackDown because that's the same company. You have to have an NWA. You have to have a Ring of Honor. Heck, I would like to see the AWA come back and have more places for guys to go wrestle instead of just having the, the you know, it all under one umbrella. Well, Animal, this is the, the cranium shot portion of my interview. I'm going to say a name or names, and you just tell me the first word that pops in your mind, okay? All right. All right, Jim Cornette. The mouse. All right, who was the better Midnight Express? Was it Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry, or was it Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane? Bobby and Dennis. Harlem Heat. Misused. The new age. I, you know, I, I, I think of Sherry Martell when I think of Harlem Heat. All right, the new age outlaws. Uh, Brian and James. All right, finally the Rock and Roll Express. Uh, I think the Rock and Roll Express is classic baby faces. You couldn't get any more textbook baby face than Ricky and Robert. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Them. Yep. They were good old boys from the South. They were respectful, great guys, you know. Well, Animal, I want to thank you again for your time. Uh, it's been an absolute honor. It's been an absolute pleasure. I really do appreciate you coming on the show today. 
Yeah, man. Thank you very much, man. And I really am excited about getting back to the state of Georgia, especially that Atlanta area. You know, it's very close to my heart. You know, like I said, when Hawk and I started, you know, Ole Anderson gave our break with Georgia Championship Wrestling. But Gordon Soley had a lot of great memories. And I can't wait to get back and see the great fans at the event coming up next week. Don't miss your chance to see Animal at UCW's Parade of Champions show in Griffin, Georgia on Friday, November the 16th. Bell time is 7.30. To purchase your tickets, go to their website at ucwtv.com. Again, that is ucwtv.com to purchase your tickets. You do not want to miss this phenomenal show again in Griffin, Georgia on November the 16th. Also, make sure you follow Universal Championship Wrestling on Twitter and on Instagram at UCWTV. Again, that's at UCWTV. And also follow them on Facebook, Universal Championship Wrestling.